Welcome to Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. I'm Amy Spreeman, and in the co-host chair today is Tammy Geenan, Vice President of Community Engagement here. Hi, Tammy. How you doing? I'm doing well. Hello, Amy. In today's episode, we're going to focus on the topic of mental health. Did you know that according to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in five adults experience mental illness and one in 20 have severe and persistent mental illness? Adult mental health and suicide prevention are complex issues, and these challenges affect all of us in some way. We see the impact on our loved ones, family members, friends, co-workers, people we see every day. In this episode, we want to focus on new local research that examined the mental health of adults living in Outagamie, Calumet, and Winnebago counties, as well as specific recommendations for mental health improvement and suicide prevention. Yeah, there was a survey done during the pandemic that was created as a partnership between the new Mental Health Connection and Dr. Sarah Kolbeck at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and it was called Mind Your Wellness. The data results were released in late 2022 and revealed the relationships among mental health, lifestyle, mental health, and suicide-related behaviors among varying people groups in the Fox Valley. And if you haven't heard of this survey and its results, we're going to share links to that report in our show notes today as background. The news we're focusing on today locally is what's next. We now better understand the mental health challenges adults in the Tri-County face. And until now, we've never had a specific community-wide roadmap showing us what to do about it. There's been some exciting work going on with members of the New Mental Health Connection, an 80-member coalition of organizations, agencies, and service providers in the Fox Valley who have just released a set of organizational, community, and public policy recommendations targeting saving lives and improving mental health for adults in our region. Joining us today for this conversation is Beth Clay, Executive Director of the New Mental Health Connection. Hello, Beth. Good morning, Tammy. And also from The Connection is Community Suicide Prevention Coordinator, Sarah Bassing-Sutton. Welcome, Sarah. Good morning. Thank you. So before we jump in and talk about the new report and the recommendations in it, first, help us understand a little bit about what The Connection is, who's involved in this work, and how, as change makers, everyone is working together to improve mental health in the Fox Valley. Thanks for for highlighting the connection, Tammy. Really appreciate it. So we are a scrappy group of community professionals and people who care about the mental health of our community who've been coming together over the last almost 12 years to deal with mental health and suicide prevention from a community perspective, not just a health perspective. And this sort of came about out of a um, a Theta Care Community Health Action Team or CHAT Plunge that happened back in 2008. And the community decided at the 2011 Mental Health Summit that we really wanted a standalone backbone entity that would support our ability to look at mental health 
and suicide work from a systems perspective and not just all the important work that we do individually with people in the community, but what are, what do we do about the big things like access to care problems or gaps in the system of care or, you know, or the large issues like suicide prevention, that there are things we can do locally. And we've had the opportunity to bring into that fold, as you said, uh, about 80 member organization. It's everybody from the health systems to mental health providers, homeless shelters, resource agencies like domestic violence and sexual assault. It's our, our, our actual mental health workforce, and it's also public health law enforcement because mental health impacts all of us no matter what mission work we're doing. So the connection is really unique in the way it does its work, and that's what makes the report so exciting because it was a really cross-section of member organization staffs that came together to dig into the Mind Your Wellness survey data to say what in here is meaningful, what in here is urgent and critical, what in here can we actually do something about. And we felt like there was so much of that in the data that it it really required a response like this, that if it, this is, you know, a roadmap, really, that if any of these things that we implement are going to make change, and many of them over time will make population level change in the Fox Valley. I'd like to also echo what you said about the connection being unique. And really, when you think about all of those partners, 80-ish partners, all coming together and wanting and having the will to work together on this topic in the community, I think sometimes here in the Fox Valley, because collaboration is built into the DNA a little bit of um, who we are as a community, sometimes we forget to um, to pause and really um, acknowledge and think about how unique and important that is. So really, thank you and congratulations on the connections, leadership, and partnership with all of the member agencies and what everyone together has been able to um, accomplish over the last 12, 12 years or so. And we're we're excited to jump in and talk more about the research and, and report. I just want to say one more thing about what you said about collaboration, because what's additionally unique is so for for this um, work, we had a, a committee, a recommendations committee, and in collaboration, we're still coming together with the hat of our organization on. When we do this work in the connection, people leave their hats at the door, mm. and we talk about community mental health, not from through the lens of anybody's individual strategic plan. And so there's another level of uniqueness of the work we do together. Just wanted to make sure to share that. Thank you. You know, the Mind Your Wellness survey was such a huge undertaking. And when you released the data last fall, there was this realization that we as a community needed to take action. Uh, what do our listeners need to know about the data that you captured and what rose to the top as far as themes? So uh, as far as the data and what rose to the top, in looking at 25 plus different data points over the course of about nine months, uh, we saw some themes uh, and some leverage points that rose to the top where if we impact one of these leverage points, it's going to make a difference in multiple areas. Um, so the 
recommendations have been organized by themes um, to help focus the work that needs to happen and really where the um, major uh, opportunities are to do the work. So we're talking about uh, basic needs, um, access to care, as well as social connection. Um, and the actual leverage points um, included uh, income, rest, uh, isolation, and the fourth one is screen time. So as we were looking at the data with our academic partner from the Medical College of Wisconsin and the way that she's able to kind of slice and dice all of the data we collected, we were able to analyze it from um, a demographic, an age, uh, just a multitude of perspectives. And what we really saw was that in our community, uh, there are some disparities um, as it relates to mental health, as it relates to all of those factors impacting mental health. Uh, and so we really were intentional in taking that data uh, disparities for the BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, as well as the LGBTQ plus community, and talking to them about what the data showed us and learning from them about what that data actually meant and whether or not it was accurate. And so in this report, um, there are also some sections uh, called In Your Own Voice um, that are specific to the disparities in our community in the BIPOC and LGBTQ plus communities. Thank you for being open about what you learned um, in that data collection process and how you pivoted um, during that piece and really listening and getting that additional feedback. I think that learning opportunity through that process is also something that can be helpful in many other ways to help our community as we're also looking to continue to listen and learn and, and gather feedback from diverse population groups in our community. It was critical. And we learned so much in the process of collecting the data, as well as more in the process of analyzing the data, because we then understood what we got wrong. And in the beginning, I think we recognized as we were looking at the data that we were not seeing certain demographics responding to the survey. And so that made us stop and think, how do we, what are we missing? What do we need to do in order to collect information on everyone in our community? So we really relied on a lot of our uh, grassroots, uh, culturally-based organizations to correct some of those things that we recognized early on in our data collection process. And the other pieces, we had to learn on the back end um, as we were looking at the data and where we really uh, missed the target in collecting accurate data. And I'll let Beth speak a little bit more to that process. Yeah, and thanks for asking about it because it it has become maybe one of the most important parts of this document, and it's sharing how we're choosing to transparently and openly share about what we got wrong, because we really want to model for the community how to make mistakes, how to humbly own them whenever you learn about them, how to start listening deeply about them, and to not stop doing this work or to not be afraid to start doing this work because you're afraid of mistakes. And so, you know, we, we've spent some a lot, you know, intentional time, <laughs> um, 
you know, staying in this space of the uncomfortableness of the of the things that we got wrong because we think this part of the story is so critical. And we learned that there was there were things about the actual design of the study itself. There were things about the language we used in asking questions. There were things about even the check boxes for the demographics that we got wrong, that people couldn't find themselves in the boxes that we put. <laughs> you know, um, there were things about how the survey was distributed. And I want to share too that the, you know, like Sarah said, some of these things we were able to correct along the way that helped ensure that we got, you know, what we, th- we intended to get. And some things we didn't, and we want to share examples of how these flaws were impacted this data. For example, we um, asked some nonprofit organizations to share the survey with their clients because we want we were really trying to reach some of the BIPOC community members. But what we learned was that there was a good chance that BIPOC community members believed that the survey was actually a requirement for getting the services that they were accessing there, which meant that our results were skewed because there was a sense of coercion behind the responses. You know, and of course, we were horrified by this and, um, and also recognized that, you know, this data is, was now flawed, fatally flawed. Another part of it was the way that we asked some of the questions about accessing care. We didn't really take into account the historical mistreatment by the healthcare system and the distrust that exists in communities. That wasn't even addressed as a as a um, barrier to accessing treatment. And of course, it is maybe the foundational barrier to access to treatment. So those are some examples about how we got it wrong and how we learned and what that means for us for Mind Your Wellness 2.0, which again, we want to encourage everybody, you know, the things we got wrong were not a reason to scrap this project. And, you know, um, people of progression and Casa Hispana and new Hmong professionals who, uh, and diverse and resilient who supported us through these errors really encouraged us not to throw up our hands, but to say, you know, but what what is still true here? What can we still find here? How do we not waste time? Because there was urgency in these disparities, critical urgency. And so we so appreciated that as well. And again, trying to just model for everybody, this was not a reason to say, you know, we screwed up, we're never doing this. You know, it, it really was like, just continued opportunity in the grace of the people who are helping us to understand our own mental models, the biases that exist, oh my goodness, in in even how data collection works, and also that we, the connection, wants to do better. We want to be better. And we're only going to stumble our way through that learning. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that detail and, yeah, how we can can all use this to continue learning together. Related to the t- uh, to the data, and you spoke of the the disparities that exist within the BIPOC and LGBTQ um, communities. What were some particularly either surprising or alarming pieces of data as you were looking at those survey results, and how did that 
influence how the report was then created or organized? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, We really were intentional in how we organized the report and where those sections fit in. As we consider the themes in a community perspective, um, sometimes the disparities are within that theme, and sometimes the disparity is before that theme. Mm Kind of like Beth mentioned, you know, as it comes to access to care, there's a barrier that exists prior to accessing care, and so we needed to put those sections on disparity um, w- within the BIPOC and LGBTQ communities prior to entering in that into that theme and those recommendations. Um, and the same is true for social connection. A few of the data points that rose to the top in those sections were related to um, annual household income. So as we look at annual household income in the Tri-County, there is an enormous disparity for folks who are making less than 50000 annually, so households who have an income of less than 50000 a year, uh, there is a greater percentage of folks um, in the BIPOC community that fall into that category, as well as in the LGBTQ plus community. So uh, we've got specific numbers. Sometimes they're hard to listen to. I would encourage you to take a look at the report um, to, to actually see the visuals on that. But, you know, the BIPOC community... of those who responded um, to our survey were earning less than $50,000 a year, and close to 70% of the LGBTQ plus community members that uh, responded were earning less than $50,000 a year. So that's pretty significant when we look at, you know, what are straight white folks making? What's the percentage of those folks making less than $50,000? It's less than 50% in both of those categories. Um, So you know, these disparities are pretty huge when it comes to that. And the disparity that that, um, that jumped out in the mental health data there, so the, the income is one thing. It The income's relationship to the number of people making less than 50,000 that are experiencing anxiety, depression, and suicide-related behaviors, that's where it really becomes urgent and critical, right? So income is distressing and it's inequitable. But when it's tied to suicide-related behaviors, that brings it to a different level, and it led to different kinds of strategies, although we do address in there minimum versus livable wage, you know, as a policy issue. But it's also about the impact of mental illness on those groups in a disparate way. That's a really great point. Thanks for bringing that up, because, you know, income is just one piece of a picture, but the the factors tied to income around mental health and suicide-related behaviors are multiplied when we're looking at its relationship to income. So, you know, uh, when we struggle with paying bills, there is an increase in poor health, there's an increase in depression, there's an increase in lack of sleep, um, and there's an increase in suicidal thoughts. So for us as a community, we're experiencing those things when we are struggling to meet our basic needs. Needs. And so for our community members in the BIPOC and LGBTQ community, the, the struggle is and the impact on their mental health and, and survival from mental health issues and suicide risk is even greater. And I think that's, you know, that's the, a challenging part when you talk about, uh, you know, the topic of, of mental health. It is complex. There are so many pieces that are interwoven. And, 
um, regarding the brand new report that is out with um, focusing on adult mental health and suicide prevention recommendations, I mean, it really starts to break down some of that complexity and how things have been interwoven, which can tend to make people feel like this issue is too big, it's too overwhelming, but what can I do as a business or a family or an individual or an organization? And so we're going to be talking more about um, what is in the report and really want to commend you on the report that has been put together because it is a very digestible easy to follow and understand um, with key data points and very specific recommendations, um, again, to help create a space um, to begin to think about what steps can be taken, everything from things that seem um, quicker and easier to do all the way up to the policy level types of things that take a long time. So we're going to come back and uh, talk more about that report um, and the the recommendations um, in just a minute. Yeah, it's really, it's a long range strategy. Uh, and it's really going to make an impact over the next seven years here in the Fox Valley. Uh, encourage our uh, listeners to go ahead and uh, visit the show notes because we're going to take you right to the connection and to the report. And uh, you're really going to like this. Um, we're going to take a brief break and talk about each of those themes, basic needs, access to care and social connection and recommendations, of course, when we come back. I'm Michelle Schuler, Microsoft TechSpark, Wisconsin, and a board member for the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. I believe that one person can only do so much and move so fast, but as a collective community of thought leaders, we can achieve more. The Community Foundation does that, bringing people together to help solve problems that lead to greater economic impact for all. You, too, can create an impact that lasts forever. Learn more at cffoxvalley.org. I am Dr. Polly Moore, a board member of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region. I also serve on the Foundation's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Anti-Racism Committee. We seek the voices and lived experiences of people within our diverse community to better understand and create a more welcoming and inclusive environment for all to thrive. This is a journey for each of us to do our part as we actively engage in conversations and transformational change. Learn more at cffoxvalley.org. We are back with Beth Clay and Sarah Bassing Sutton from The Connection about a brand new mental health and suicide prevention recommendation report from the Mind Your Wellness Survey. And we're going to talk specifically about each of the three strategic areas or themes. And again, those are basic needs, access to care, and social connection. But before we do that, we want to back up a little bit to something we talked about in the first segment, and that is the disparities that came up during uh, the survey process, during, you know, analyzing the data. Sarah, talk to us a little bit about what else popped up for you. Yeah, thanks for bringing that back up. We uh, were looking at the data as it relates to suicide attempts. And in our BIPOC community, they are attempting suicide three times 
more frequently. And in our LGBTQ plus community, it's 11 times more frequently in the last 12 months um, for attempting suicide. I think it's also important to note the disparity in social connection amongst our BIPOC and LGBTQ community members. Uh, when it comes to looking at isolation and, and feeling isolated, folks in those communities are twice as likely to feel uh, isolated on a regular basis. And the impact of those things specifically on mental health and ability to flourish um, are immense. Wow. Well, let's start with, um, as we dissect some of the, the recommendations, let's start with the first theme, and that was basic needs. And we touched on that a little bit in the first segment, um, but the pandemic turned up the heat on issues that really already existed for many in the Fox Valley when it comes to meeting uh, the basic needs on a regular basis. And you found a correlation between the stress of not being able to meet basic needs and how it impacts mental health and suicide rates. What can be done? What are some of the recommendations in each of those areas? So we we started there with some organizational recommendations. Um, again, you'll find that our our focus in these recommendations are not on individuals changing their behavior. It's really difficult to ask individual people to make changes when all of the conditions around them encourage uh, us towards these um, challenges and these disparities. So first of all, let's um, just uh, remind everybody that these recommendations are organizational. Some of them are for community, like for community organizations, um, and many of them are public policy. Um, but we, we started looking at things like um, minimum wage uh, versus livable wage and, you know, what are, where, where do we stand in the Fox Valley? And with that, you know, our minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. Livable wage is closer to like $16.40 an hour. And there has been incredible research done on even for $1 incremental changes in to, to sort of an inadequate minimum wage up towards livable wage, um, we are saving thousands of lives. It, it's, it's, it has a correlation to suicide. So that's why, you know, why the heck are we talking about this when we're talking about mental health? Um, because they are very much related. So speaking to employers about livable wage, speaking to them about how mental illness ravages their bottom line, because it does with both absenteeism and presenteeism. Presenteeism being when people are not well, but they're at work, but not productive. And uh, that there's a lot of things that, that they can do to support folks being in a, in a space of flourishing that they can take some responsibility for. We also looked at community recommendations under basic needs that would do some targeted mental health supports for those with incomes um, lower than $50,000 a year, that the community should really consider placing huge priority inside of our community health improvement plans on sleep. So sleep is one of those behavioral changes that in the moment seems very simple and easy, and in some ways it is. But there, again, there are so many community factors that play against that. There are cultural factors that play against that. Our hustle culture, you know, our, our culture that celebrates, you know, not having slept in five days because we were so dedicated towards something, 
Um, you know, this happens a lot in nonprofit. Um, and lack of sleep just increases our stress, our irritability. It makes us less able to help other people or be in the mindset to help other people. Um, and so, you know, there's an impact on our social connection. And it really increases the odds of experiencing chronic pain, which is a huge factor in um, the experience of depression and anxiety, as well as leading to substance use sometimes, and has a relationship to suicidal thinking and attempts. So sleep is not a small deal. Asking the community to try to prioritize there is really, really important. And, you know, our work has a place in that as well, being able to protect people's boundaries outside of work hours. You know, how many of us, you know, we're laying in bed right before we're going to go to bed and the last thing we do is check our work email? Yeah, it's the worst thing we could be doing. And then the public policy recommendations and basic needs really focus on that livable wage and and what can we do to try to move from 725 to 1640, which would be the minimum of just keeping somebody able to meet their basic needs. The um, the the work hours piece, we think there's public policy potential there as well. So the interesting thing was in the data itself was 78% of the people who responded in the Mind Your Wellness survey are getting less than six hours of sleep a night. And 50% of them are waking up feeling not rested. So there's hours of sleep and then there's quality sleep, which are two different things. And so lack of sleep just affects us in so many negative ways. The CDC actually recommends for adults more than seven hours of sleep every single night. And, you know, I'm, I can hear all of the groans that are happening <laughs> out there in the community right now of, you know, how that feels impossible and um, and all of those kinds of things because of all of the societal conditions around us. But we're asking for a prioritization for the systems themselves to consider because it ha- it is such a strong leverage point for impacting mental health. Let's uh, take a look at the second theme, which is access to medical and mental health care. So there are long waits for people trying to access mental health services, and depending on what kind of services that you might be seeking, that wait time could be longer. So knowing how to access care is one piece, but there are also some shortages in the mental health workforce and other barriers that might make it a challenge for people to get the help that they need. So talk a little bit about this theme of access to care and what rose to the top as far as what the data said that related to the recommendations. Yeah, so access to care, again, this is one of those things that has been an issue long before the pandemic. The pandemic came along and just you know, turned up the heat exponentially because we all started to struggle with our mental health during the pandemic. So we saw more people seeking uh, mental health services and our mental health providers were doing overtime and then some. And so uh, as people were on waiting lists and there was not enough providers to serve, we saw that reflected in our data when people were going into crisis as well as 
what might be helpful and whether or not folks really needed to be on a particular waiting list for a particular service. So we've got outpatient services, there's medication management, there are all types of services when it comes to mental health. And in the data, what we looked at was when do people need help? Um, when are crises happening? And what we learned is that a majority of crises happen after hours. So between the hours of five and eight is when um, our 988 uh, suicide lifeline is getting most of their calls, for example, indicating that that's when folks really need the help. And so one of our recommendations uh, has to do with creating a mental health workforce that works during those hours when their services are needed the most and then paying them for working those hours in a way that truly honors the work that is happening and the hours that are, are being uh, worked. We also uh, have a recommendation uh, to increase and encourage um, more mental health walk-in clinics because sometimes folks can get what they need from a very short solution-focused type therapy, and a lot of our mental health walk-in clinics can offer those types of things. We also recognize that there are other ways that folks can get support for their mental health. And one of those is our certified peer specialist workforce in the community and continuing to support those trainings and incorporating those folks into the system of care. There are enormous benefits to individuals who have a certified peer support as a part of their care team. Um, and we're talking about 38.6% decrease in inpatient services. So folks are getting less intense and less expensive care. They are not staying as long when they do have inpatient services. So 29.7% decrease in the number of days for an inpatient stay. And then also a 24.3% decrease in overall behavioral health-related costs when there is a certified peer specialist associated with somebody's mental health care. So one of our recommendations has to do with supporting that as a component of care for individuals who are struggling with mental health. One thing that I found interesting on the community recommendation side was um, the percentage of survey respondents that weren't sure if there were enough resources or maybe how to access the resources. So I found that part of the report interesting. And also, I think even just being intentional about how as a community, everyone is sharing the same information as a go-to first stop for where to find information. So could you talk a little bit about that? I can share about that. Um, this data point about killed me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because the connection's been working on what we've called no wrong door for, for over 10 years because we know the system is so complex and trying to help people navigate it and try to help the community understand where to go. And so when the Mind Your Wellness survey data came back and said that 30% of people wanted to seek treatment but didn't know where to go, and 75% of people either were unsure whether we have enough resources in the Valley or believe that we don't, um, <laughs> I was like, okay, we need to take heart here and keep going. 
Um, there's more that we can do. Uh, so our our solution over time has been um, the creation of um, My Connection new.org, which is a service navigation website, which is the first place anybody should and can go to look for what services are available in the Fox Valley. So clearly there's more work to be done there of driving the public to that, knowing that it's there. Because once people are there, they're finding services. The the, the site itself is very successful. Um, what's on there is accurate. You know, there's a there's um, a crisis page that people go to all the time that has all kinds of crisis numbers on it. So you know, I felt like we solved this one already. So we solved the the gathering of the resources into one place. What we still need to solve is ensuring that everybody knows about it. So if if you don't know or your organization doesn't know about www.myconnectionnew.org, please go check it out. You can put the link on your own website. You can, you know, as we, we support each other in the community just as people, or if you're a navigator type person, like a home visitor or a discharge nurse or school counselor, this will really help you as a navigator help people know where to actually get help. So yeah, that set of data points was um, surprising, a little disheartening, but we're go- just going to keep going. Well, and I think sometimes, you know, when people... Or maybe someone remembers hearing at one point about where to go for resources. It doesn't always, people don't always remember until they're in a crisis. And then they're they're like, wait a minute, what was that thing? What was (laughs) that thing, that place that I remember hearing about, you know, two years ago? And so for me, that is just reinforcing the importance of making sure as a community, we are always working together to keep that website elevated and highlighted because no one knows when they're, right. they're going to need it and, and be in that, in that crisis. Well, let's talk about the, the third strategy, and that is about social connection. It was one of the main themes, and you've got a strategy to improve mental health and uh, risk of suicide in that area. Uh, we know there's a, a huge correlation between isolation and poor mental health and even suicide. So uh, we seem to be getting more and more disconnected from each other uh, at home, in the workplace. How is that happening, and how do we, as the Fox Valley community, even begin to make a um, a difference. Yeah, this is a great question. Considering you know where we have been um, with the pandemic and where we're at as a community, you know, one of the data points that came up uh, in the Mind Your Wellness survey was related to screen time and the amount of hours that folks are spending on a screen outside of work and school. And what we see is that the more screen time, the worse mental health is. So four or more hours of screen time on a daily basis outside of work or school is uh, associated with increased risk of anxiety and increased sense of isolation. So we have a recommendation in the document that folks are getting less than four hours of screen time on a daily basis outside of school and work. And something simple like that will improve mental health because it's going to improve improve um, connection. 
The other place that we uh, saw an opportunity to make a recommendation uh, around social connection is this place where, as adults, that we are eight-plus hours a day, and that's in the workplace, encouraging employers to create a culture of connection within the workplace is another opportunity uh, to improve adult mental health. And it's a really simple concept. It, it is asking that question of, how are you? and really being prepared for that answer and really taking the time to hear what other folks are going through. And uh, in this new place of what a work world is, you know, the line between home and work is completely blurred. And so our home and our work sometimes were one um, for a handful of years there. And so this idea of really being present for one another um, can drastically improve mental health as well. And the impact of not doing it is really uh, detrimental to businesses' bottom line because folks then are struggling and that absenteeism and presenteeism that Beth spoke about earlier is really impacting the work that's uh, resulting from folks who are not doing well. Our local data also really mirrored the national data about one in five adults um, say they often or always feel isolated or lonely. And this is heartbreaking, but it's also dangerous. Um, lack of social connections really correlated with increased risk for suicide. And loneliness isn't just a bad feeling. It's actually harming our health. So it's associated with a greater risk of not just the depression and anxiety, but also cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, and premature death. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day, and even greater than that associated with obesity and physical inactivity. So again, this is one of those really interesting leverage points that we have where if we can make a difference here, we can make a difference in all these other factors that are, you know, have a relationship to screen time, sleep, you know, feeling connected with other people, feeling like we belong, feeling like we have a place. And when you talk about screen time, you're talking about after hours, after work. That's right. So our data, we, we sort of had a, a cutoff line of the, of the four hours outside of work or school. I just want to emphasize that the CDC actually is shooting for two hours for us to do outside <laughs> of work or school. So we didn't want to shock everybody, and we're going to prioritize four, hoping that we can move in the right direction. <laughs> Okay, I personally have some work to do with that. Yeah, so, <laughs> yes, that's good good to keep in mind. Sarah, Beth, there is so much more we could talk about in this report and it's a very easily digestible, readable report, practical recommendations. Where can listeners go to access the report, understand how to get involved, and begin to have conversations um, with, uh, within the workplace, within schools, within personal um, circles, um, and organizations? Um, where can people get started? So on the New Mental Health Connection website, um, which is www.newmentalhealthconnection.org, you can find the original Mind Your Wellness survey data, because some people who are data nerds, like myself, want to go back and look at that actual data. You can find the report as a PDF. You can actually read it there electronically 
kind of as a book if you would like to. Um, you can pull it, pull down the PDF. You can put it on your own website. You can ask for us to mail you copies of the paper report. And what we want to say is that this is actually, although was really like giving birth to something, um, that this is actually the beginning of the conversation, not the end of a process. So it is a priority of both Sarah's project, which is called Project Zero, and the Newman Health Connection, that folks use this report for all kinds of reasons. They can use it as evidence towards projects or programs they want to do. They can use it, use the data and the recommendations for funding requests. We would love to have boards of directors of organizations using this in their strategic planning that really over the next, you know, five, this will remain relevant over the next five to seven years. Um, so there's lots of work in here to be done. And like we said, anything in here that anybody does, even in the smallest ways, are going to improve things. We also are available to just come and talk to you or your organization about how your organization might use this. Again, we're at the very front end of our mission to get this out here and have it used. So contacting Sarah, Sarah at NewmanHealthConnection.org or myself, Beth at NewmanHealthConnection.org can start the conversation in any way that you would like to, and we'd love to do that with you. Uh, well, like you said, Beth, this conversation will continue. In fact, it's just getting started, and we do need your voice. So uh, all the links that Beth mentioned, if you happen to be on our website, and uh, you can go ahead and click there. It'll take you right to where you want to go. And we're just excited that uh, that this conversation is happening in our community. And we're thankful for the work the Connection is doing. So thank you so much for joining us, Beth and Sarah. Thank, thank you. you so much. Tammy, any thoughts? I think just really, again, appreciative to all of the the hard work um, and intentional focus and collaboration that went into um, the survey work and the production of the report and the specific recommendations. It it is a wonderful roadmap uh, for our region to have um, in really taking action uh, to make a meaningful difference. All right. Well, again, we've got all the links to all the resources that we talked about today in our show notes for this episode. You can find them by going to cffoxvalley.org backslash podcasts. There you can subscribe to this podcast and get all your episodes delivered to you wherever you listen to audio. We'll see you next time on Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley region. Mm-hmm.